All right, if you're already seated, open up to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. While you're turning there, I do uh, just want to say thank you on behalf of myself and my wife, and I know for Bill and his wife and Tyler and Kim, uh, thank you very much for the gifts, uh, the pastor appreciation gifts last uh, Sunday. Just um, overwhelmed by that generosity and and your uh, show of love. So thank you very, very much um, for what you guys did there. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you for our time so far together as a church. It's not just a place where we go, it's who we are. And uh, now as we turn our attention as the church to Your Word, we're reminded that it is Your truth, Your Word that sanctifies us. It is through the hearing and doing of Your Word that we are transformed uh, more and more into the image of Jesus. So now would You uh, please do what only You can do through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, who is the counselor, the teacher. Uh, open our hearts, our minds, to not just understand your word, but to bring application. Oftentimes we're so limited on a Sunday uh, that we don't get a chance to, to really ask one another, well, what does that mean? How is that going to play out when you leave here? How is that going to change your life? And so, Father, uh, I'm asking you to bring that application and uh, perhaps even... Uh, generate conversations afterwards of what this means so that we can continue to grow together, be edified together, mature together as a church family um, through the hearing and doing of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Acts chapter 2. We have been in a series on fellowship, trying to understand what the Bible teaches about fellowship, a word that quite, quite honestly is what I call a churchy word. Oh yeah, fellowship, that's a fellowship hall. Oh yeah, fellowship, that's in your church name. That's just a synonym for church, isn't it? Oh yeah, fellowship, that's just socially hanging out, right? And if you've been with us for, for the last month or so since Easter, we've, we've been understanding that fellowship means so much more. means so much more. And, and that's why we're just kind of walking through it. Just walking through it one week at a time. So Acts 2.42, again, this is the early church. 3,000 people are added to the church supernaturally. What are they going to do? What are they going to focus on? A mega church is birthed, right? Acts 2.42, this is what the early church does. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This, these verses have launched us off. In 42 it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and... To the fellowship. Oftentimes, if you've grown up in any, any church, or length, a church for any length of time, you go, oh, I've got to devote myself to Bible study. I've got to devote myself to this. How many of us ever thought that we were supposed to devote ourselves to fellowship? To commit yourself to actively, proactively engage in this thing called fellowship. Because again, if we define fellowship as some sort of uh, secondary social event, 
Then what happens to the, whenever uh, we say, hey, it's fellowship, you go, oh, that's optional. I don't need to be there. I, that, that's just secondary. But look at what the early church, they devoted themselves not just to teaching, but to fellowship. It is something as a believer, as a church, we need to constantly be devoted to. Be devoted to. Otherwise, we can drift. I shared with you a year or two ago, I used to, I used to love to go deep sea fishing. I haven't been out there in a while. And if you go out there on these boats, they call them cattle boats, right? You go out to the islands. The captain has his radar, his fish finder, and you're out there. And once you travel across the, uh, the channel there, they'll get to a spot, and then the, the captain will start to circle, right? He's looking for the pocket of fish, right? And everyone gets excited. And, you know, I've shared with you before, I'm pretty competitive when it comes to, so I get my line out, you know, and you wait and you wait. And the minute he cuts the engine, you drop even before he gives permission. <laughs> you just drop, right? Because you want to be the first one down there because the first one down there generally gets the first bites and the first fish, right? And so I would go fishing and go, he circles, he cuts the engine, doosh, boom, boom, right? And you yell fish on and, you know, it's that whole competitive thing, right? Yeah, first one, first one, right? But what happens is I get so focused. I don't know about you, but you ever have an activity where you're so focused that everything disappears? Well, when I fish, I get focused on the line and the tip of my rod and just the water. I'm like this. Right? You can be there for a long time and become oblivious. And what will happen is you, you get on this spot and all of a sudden, boom, you get some fish. And suddenly, after a few minutes, it just it dies out. Right? And, and suddenly, the bite goes cold. And you're like, what happened? And then the captain will come on the intercom and says, oh, looks like we've drifted off. Reel up your lines, I, can, I need to reset. And what happens is, is because I was so focused and we were so focused on our lines and our, our rod tips, we didn't even realize that we were drifting. Everyone was moving together and you were so focused you lost perspective of the island and you were just drifting off where you needed to be. And if we're not careful as a church in fellowship, you can start to drift. Oh, that's just potlucks oh that's just that's just and sometimes god brings us back and i believe after easter he brought us back because not that we have drifted but as a more of a warning hey ohio valley christians in fellowship you've been together four and a half years lots of good things happening but be careful that you don't become so tunnel vision on sundays and Wednesdays, and serving, and all the good things that happen here, that we start to drift. And we wonder, what happened? How did we get here as a church, collectively? And so, because the church is made up of people and individuals, we all have to kind of go back to, Lord, have I drifted? Maybe I'm not completely understood. Like We may have a Steve moment, and that's probably going to be a term around here from now on. We're going to have a Steve moment where we're like... But I always thought, I always thought fellowship just happened over there, not here. This is, the, this is the sanctuary. That's the fellowship hall. Or I always thought fellowship was just social, isn't that? And you have a Steve moment. Ah, I get it. I get it. Fellowship is, is, is a word that if we understand, and if you've been with us the last few weeks, we're in fellowship. We're commanded to be in fellowship. In fellowship with who? 
Okay, look left, look right, look forward, look backwards. Who are we called to be in fellowship with? Each other. But what if we don't like each other? <laughs> right? Well, we saw, and we're going to see next week as we, as we kind of go to the next stage, we're called to love each other. It goes way beyond liking. We're called to a supernatural love that supersedes liking. Agape love, yes. And we're going to see that next week, right? But fellowship, if you've, if you've been with us any length of time and you're letting it, it kind of, I call it marinate. It's got to go from here to here. Because we have so deeply ingrained sort of churchy American values and we have so deeply ingrained American cultural values that I know what I teach about fellowship just kind of going to go like this. Point, 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 point. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We'll know. And, and, and here's a challenge as I was thinking about this. I see many of you every week. So when I'm preaching about fellowship and you serve and you love one another and you, you, you do things for one another uh, Monday through Saturday that I don't even know about, I, I hear about it, right? So I feel like I'm kind of preaching to the choir here. And God's like, that's okay. Because God may use you with what you learn through His Word to go minister to others. See, my encouragement to you, sometimes you go to church and you hear a sermon for the umpteenth time, you're like, okay, been there, done that. In fact, I'm pretty good in that area. And if you're not careful, you check out because you've been there, done that. Did you ever think that maybe you're sitting at church hearing a sermon because God wants you to repeat that sermon to somebody else? It's not about us, remember? One of the key things we've been learning about fellowship, on, even on a Sunday, it's not what you get, it's what you give. Don't just come to church to get something. I hope the music's good. I hope the sermon's good. I hope the donuts are good, right? Don't just come to get. You've got to come to give. And that giving might actually extend past Sunday. Because you might run in to uh, another believer who, for whatever reason, isn't fellowshipping. And you might engage in a conversation and what you've been learning over the last month about biblical fellowship may be you sharing and transforming a life and God speaking through you in a conversation at Starbucks and someone gets re-engaged in the body. So although you're here and you're in fellowship and you're fellowshipping, maybe, it's, maybe the messages are for somebody that you're going to run into. Just a word of encouragement. Just a word of encouragement. That's why, you know, have a pen or a pencil and, and take notes. Maybe God's going to speak to your heart. Maybe, maybe, maybe He's going to use you. Just maybe He's going to use you Monday through Saturday out in our community. Okay, so, so try not to check out if you feel like you're pretty solid with fellowship. Okay, one of the, one of the things we've been hearing, and we talked about it, uh, this morning at the front end of services, church isn't just a place we go to, right? It's who we, it's who we are. Church isn't an organization. It's an organism. It's the body of Christ. You have to understand that. American church is just so, it can get so convoluted and so diluted. OBCF is not an organization. Sure, we have a 501c3 and we did all the tax things and all the bylaws. That, that's the corporate side that we have to. But biblically, we're an organism. And an organism, right? The body of Christ. 
So who here is part of the body of Christ? So if you're part of the body of Christ, what does that mean by default? You're in. Remember, we've, we've looked at it. When you put your faith in Jesus, he puts you in the body. He doesn't ask if you'd like to be. So who's in? If you're in, you're in. Oh, really? He's going to ask me to serve now. Here it comes. Here comes the sales pitch. We're trying to settle the issue. We're trying to help everyone understand. If you are a Christian, you are already in. It's, it's not optional. You are already in, right? When I was in uh, fifth or sixth grade, we had this game. We loved to play with steal the flag. I think we might call it steal the bacon now, but it's steal the flag, right? And there was big field, and there was something on each end, and there's a center divider, and teachers would divide the classes just in half. And the object is to run, try to grab the thing, and get back to your side without getting tagged, right? If you get tagged, you've got to go to jail, right? Love that game. But here's the thing. Big field, center line, teachers go bump, 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 bump. Center line, go. Everybody was in. There was no bench and there were no spectators. Everybody was in to steal the flag. This whole side against this whole side. You were in the game. It wasn't an option. Now, standing on the field, you could just sit there and chat with your friend. Do you want to play? I don't really want to play, but I know we've got we to stand out here. We'll get in trouble. You know what I mean? But the point is, you're on the playing field. You are technically in the game. As a believer, you know what? You're in. And if some, some of us will just chew on that for however long, days, weeks, months, that might help you to resolve priorities. That might help you to change schedule. That might help you rethink, hmm, okay, have I been just trying to fit church into my world? Or is church and Jesus my world? Makes all the difference. If you're, if you're trying to decide, am I in? Do I want to commit to there? Do I? See, and I'm not even necessarily talking about this local fellowship. If you're a believer, you are in the body of Christ, Period with all the privileges and responsibilities that follow the being in the body of Christ. That, why, is that, why is that such a tension? Here's a quote attributed to Charles Colson. It is a tension because of the values that many of us have been raised with in the American culture. He says this, We live in a therapeutic age where everything is measured by how much I get out of it. The church ought to be measured by what we put into it for God and others. And we live in an era of rampant individualism. So in a very individualistic culture, the whole idea of being a part of a community is countercultural. And it fits perfectly in the, here it is, what's in it for me, narcissistic attitude, prevalent in American culture. So you hear from the Bible that, hey, you've been a believer. Woo-hoo-hoo. Hey, you've been put into the body of Christ. Whoa, 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 pastor. I like this Jesus thing. I like this grace thing. I like this salvation by faith. But now you're telling me I'm in? Was that in the fine print? Was that in the fine print? 
right? Because why? We're raised in this culture, very individual. And and I'm going to decide. I'm going to decide if I want to join your church. Right? It's not even about this church. Like I said, you're in the body of Christ. You've got to settle that issue. You've got to submit to that truth. But that one's countercultural. I shared with you before, there's a difference between your faith being personal and private. See, my relationship with the Lord, it's very personal. It's heartfelt. I love the Lord. But being placed into the body of Christ, not so private. We're to bear each other's burdens. We're to confess our sins. We're to love one another, right? We're to use our gifts in the body. But what we want to do is we want to be individuals and we want to privatize our faith. Because it's my faith. Is it just your faith? I thought it was ours. See what I'm saying? So this idea of fellowship cuts to the root, the core of many of our struggles with sanctification. Our struggles when walking with Jesus because we're struggling with being a part of the body of Christ. We're just struggling with what He calls us to do, which is to be in fellowship. And as long as we keep it private, as long as we keep it individualistic, you know what we're going to do? We're going to keep trying to fit Jesus into our calendar. Hmm, Let's see, Jesus, I got you right here. 10 to 11. If it's private and it's individual and it's about me, we're always going to be trying to fit Jesus into our calendar events. It's not. You're in. You're in. That was part of the deal, right? And so if you've seen your notes there, we've been looking at some some pretty powerful truths, right? As a believer, I'm a new covenant relationship with God. As a believer, I'm a member of the body of Christ with privileges and responsibilities. We're all commoners, right? We talked about that a few weeks ago, a whole long list of things we have in common. Last week, we looked at we are all, if you're a believer, we're all much forgiven. The story of the woman in sin, Luke 7, right? A woman with a reputation, some thinks that she was a prostitute, comes to this dinner party where Jesus is having dinner with a, with a religious guy. She starts to cry and she anoints Jesus with oil and, and all this kind of stuff, kisses his feet and all this. And, and Jesus' whole point, what was our point last Sunday? Hey, she was forgiven much, so she loved much. And we asked a question last Sunday, have you been forgiven much? And it's not even just quantity, it's an awareness of your forgiveness. And see, this, this, this woman was so overcome with the awareness of the grace that she had received that she just said, Jesus, I love you. And I don't care who knows. And I don't care what anyone thinks about me. And I don't care what anyone says. I just want to express my love to you. And last Sunday, we had a wonderful church gathering of the much forgivens. Amen? Remember that? And we're like, oh, you too? Oh, you too, you're much forgiven too. Oh, you too, you're much forgiven. And you realize we were just sitting together in a room filled with much forgivens. Isn't that wonderful? And if you can sit there and if you can allow that that truth even, I'm much forgiven. And allow this love. The Bible says God's love is poured out to us through His Holy Spirit. If you can allow His love to be poured into you, where's that love going to go? Right? And, and today, 
We're going to understand. We're going to even go one step further. Not just being much forgiven. We're going to understand. Turn to 1 John. That fellowship, if we're going to have fellowship with one another, if we're going to be in fellowship, it begins at salvation. It begins at salvation. Turn to 1 John. It's all the way back there towards the back of the New Testament, right before 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, Jude, Revelation, okay, right after 2nd Peter. Okay. Now, before we look at the, the verses we're going to focus on, turn to 1st John 5. I want to give you the context of the book so you understand what we're talking about. 1st John 5. The writer is John, and he gives us the reason for writing this book, this letter, right? First John 5.13, he says this, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Okay? So he's writing to professing Christians, okay? And he wants them to have the assurance of salvation. Okay? Kind of the context of the overarching context of what he's writing. He's writing to those who profess to know Jesus, who profess to believe, and he wants them to know, to settle the issue, that they're saved. The assurance of salvation. Okay? Now go back to 1 John 1, and we're going to look at one of the tests that he gives. How do you know? How can you know that you're saved, right? The context, right? Look at 1 John 1, 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have what? Fellowship with him, yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have what? fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin let's read it again this is the message we have heard from him and declared to you God is light in him there is no darkness at all he's speaking about God's nature his holiness his righteousness if we claim to have fellowship with him yet walk in the darkness we lie and do not live by the truth he says hey there's some false teaching out there. And there was some false teaching out there that said there's a separation between the physical body and the spiritual world. And the physical body is evil. And so there's a separation. You can kind of do whatever you want in the physical body and still be saved. That was the false teaching. And he's bringing correction to that. And so in bringing correction, he's actually checking and challenging those who profess to be Christians. He says this. If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. He says, hey, you professing Christians, are you walking in the light or in the darkness? See, he eliminates all the gray. He just cuts right to the chase. There's dark and there's light. You see it in John 3, right? John 3, Jesus said, Light has come. Men love darkness. It's light and dark, right? Ephesians 5, it says this. You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. 
John is saying, hey, you, Christians, are you walking? Meaning, as a habitual pattern, as a pattern of your life, okay? Habitually, as a pattern of your life, are you walking in light or darkness? That's the test. Because he says this, if you're claiming to be a Christian, oh yeah, me and God are tight. We have fellowship. He's my bro, right? And we're walking around thinking we're all tight and doing this and this, and we're walking habitually in sin and darkness. What does John say? You're a... You're lying. Not only are you lying to those around you, you're probably lying to yourself. Fellowship begins with salvation. Begins with salvation. Now, how are we saved? By grace through... Who is the object of our faith? Okay, very important. You got it. You got it. You got to complete it. We are saved by grace through faith in who? Christ, right? The object of our faith is Jesus. I'm not saved because I have faith in having faith. We talked about this. You get what I'm saying? We are saved by grace through faith in the completed substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. Amen. I am not saved because I have faith. Because I've asked people that question. Hey, are you saved? Are you saved, Mark? I say, how do you know? Well, I have faith. Is that faith in having faith? Or is that faith in Jesus? Why is that important? Because sometimes you might wake up in the morning and go, I don't feel like I have faith. Pastor, I woke up and I'm not feeling like I have faith. Am I still saved? You see what I'm saying? Your faith is not in you having faith. Your faith is in the completed substitutionary work of Jesus Christ alone. Amen? You've got you to gotta settle that issue because your feelings go like this. Whose feelings go like this? And when, you, when you're down here and you don't feel like a Christian and you don't feel like going to church and you don't feel like reading a Bible and you're like, Lord, am I saved? He says, well, what's your object of faith, Bill? And if you say the completed work of Jesus Christ, okay, you're good. Despite your feelings. Amen? You've got to settle that, right? So in 1 John 1, 6, right, he says, hey, if you want to have fellowship, you've got you to gotta start with salvation, guys. And again, I know I'm kind of preaching to the choir, maybe. I'm going to leave that between you and God. Don't know what he's saying. I've been in church 30 years. You're saying I'm not saved? I'm saying this. There are pastors behind pulpits who aren't saved today. And I'm going to tell you this too. I believe that God only knows. But the Bible does say you know by the fruit. In fact, right here it says, hey, if you're walking in darkness, you should probably check yourself. Right? As a habit, as a habitual pattern, okay? How many of you love Jesus, but you kind of sin? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, you lied, so you just sinned. So how many of you just sinned because you didn't raise your hand, right? I mean, right? Oh, does that mean I'm walking in darkness? No. Walking means a habitual pattern of life. I know many of you love Jesus and, and you, you desire with all your heart to, to, to love him and honor you, honor him. But you blow it every once in a while. Amen. 
That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about someone who professes, wears the shirts, says everything right, da 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 da. But by their life, they're just living for themselves. By their life, they're just following the darkness. Is that clear? Very important. Fellowship begins with salvation. Okay? And then it says this. Look at this. Verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Why is that important? Look what he says there. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, what's the consequence? We have fellowship with one another. Do you see now? See, fellowship, sometimes again, uh, it's hard for pastors sometimes to communicate this in 30 minutes because, oh, fellowship. He just wants to start doing more around here. But the code now is fellowship. That's just code for do more. Look, fellowship begins with salvation. Salvation evidence is walking in the light. Verse 7 says, if we walk in the light, what will be a byproduct of you choosing to walk in the light? You will have what? With who? Look left and right. With one another. With one another. See, sometimes I've been in churches where we flip it and we do all these crazy activities and we want to have all this fun because we think the activities will create the fellowship. You see? Let's invite them all to this thing and they'll have a really good time and then we'll have fellowship. And then churches, their budgets, and they they drive people into the ground with busyness, busyness, business because they're trying to externally create fellowship. What do these verses teach us? What is the basis of true biblical fellowship? Walking what? In the light. You see? Ernie, if you and I ever have a problem in fellowship where you don't like me anymore and I don't like you anymore. What do we typically do? We start, oh, that Ernie. Oh, that Richie. He's just. Scott, come on, let me tell you about Ernie. Right? And we gather our little camp and then he gathers his, uh, his little camp. This happens in churches. These verses are saying, hey, if there's a problem in fellowship, there's probably a problem this way first. If I have a problem with you and it starts to affect the whole body and the fellowship of the whole body, it's probably either I haven't confessed to you, we haven't spoken the truth in love to one another, we haven't forgiven one another. As the Bible calls us to. Amen? Churches will often, oh, they're so clicky. Oh, they're so this and they're so that. The issue isn't this. The issue is this. And sometimes people come to me and they say, oh, Tina. I'm like, Really? She did? No, I was just about to say, right? I was just about to say. <laughs> if, someone, if someone comes and they have a concern about something in the church, you know what I want to ask first? I want to ask, well, how are you doing this way? What is God calling you to do in that issue? Have you spoken to them? Have you, are you harboring bitterness? Are you, have you forgiven that person? Well, 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 I mean, I can't help you. I can't, our fellowship can't be restored if I'm not willing to do what God calls me to do, which is forgive Him. Do you see what I'm saying? I forgive you too. <laughs> Maybe. But I'm a... <laughs> fellowship starts with each salvation. 
But then it begins with sanct- it continues with sanctification as we each continue to, to keep that relationship. Number one, it's going to flow this way. And if there's a problem in this church of fellowship, you know what you're going to do? You're going to sit with me or Bill or Tyler and we're going to say, okay, so what's God calling us to do in this? And if everyone involved will do what God is calling them to do, the fellowship will be restored. But we get all caught up in trying to fix things. Or we leave. Or we stick around, but we harbor bitterness. And God's like, hey, hey, hey. Walk in the light and you'll have fellowship. Amen? That's what it is. That's what it is. We've got to stay focused this way and not turn it into a, this man-created, man-driven, man-centered organization. Right? Fellowship begins with salvation and then continues with each of us choosing to walk in the light. So here's the thing. If you're struggling with somebody, First and foremost, you need to bring that issue to God. And if you're not able to resolve it, then you come to us and we'll pray with you. We'll bring you counsel. Because first and foremost, your heart's got to be right with God in that issue. Now, you can't control what the other person's going to do. You can't control their response or their reaction, can you? No. What you can control is your heart being right with God and walking in faith and obedience. Amen? If we all purpose to do that as a church... The fellowship follows. We're not going to be a body here that's going to try to, you, you know, and all these events and all these programs. No, no. We believe, I believe, if you will love God, by default, the love in here will follow. Amen? That's what we're going to be about. Why does it matter? We'll close with it. John 13. Why does this matter? Why does fellowship, what's the, what's the big deal about fellowship? Right? This is going to launch us into where we're going to start next week. So excited about next week and really this whole series. But next week, we're going to kind of transition a little bit. Why does fellowship matter? Well, we defined a few weeks ago that fellowship, the root of it is love, right? Loving one another. We said agape love. Look at this. Well, it's on to John 13, and we'll, we'll close with the verse in just a sec. Let me ask you a question. Who here wants their life to be a testimony for Jesus? Who here is comfortable or even desires that the people in the community know that you're a disciple of Christ? Okay, who here is willing? And this is just kind of sharing. We'll do a little Wednesday night here. How will they know that? How will they know you're a disciple of Jesus? Because that's your desire. That's a very good desire. Let's get real practical. How? Okay, you say, by your walk. What else? Your actions. What else? Your words. What else? Okay, let, let, let's, let's help it. How, does, how do you know if someone's a... Uh, follower of the Clippers. Bumper stickers. What else? Shirts. Playing hooky from Bible study last Wednesday, but that's okay. We gave you a pass. Um, But that's just between us. Right? If you think of the world, there's a, there's a lot of different things that we follow, right? You're a follower of a band. You wear their T-shirts, right? You play their music. Da, da, da. Okay, so if you're a follower of Jesus, how are, people to, how are people supposed to know? You said words, actions. What else? T-shirts. <laughs> T-shirts. All right. 
Mark, what did you say? Love one another. Here it is. Jesus whittles it all down. Because people think, oh, I want my life to be a testimony in this valley. I'm going to wear every shirt there is. And I'm going to... Nothing wrong with that. Okay, take this the right way. We sort of miss what the source of our testimony is. Nothing wrong with being doctrinally sound. Nothing wrong with t-shirts. Nothing wrong with playing music and all that. But Jesus says, John 13, 35, look what he says here. This is why fellowship matters. By this. This. Not, hey, here's one, here's one thing out of many. He just says this. That's, don't miss the word this. By this, all men, believers, unbelievers, everybody, by this, all will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Whoo! See, a lot of us think, oh, I want my life to be a testimony. And the way my life is going to be a testimony is I'm just going to let people know all the stuff I don't do. And, and we want our life to be a testimony by all the stuff we no longer don't do. Nothing wrong with not doing sinful stuff anymore. But that's not the source, is it? Look what Jesus says. This is why fellowship matters. This is why we're taking so long on this. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Is that it? Well, be careful if you say, is that it? Because we're going to see next week that loving one another is supernatural. And if you think that's it, yeah. Because you turn to that person next to you and you're supposed to love them in such a way that the world goes, Teresa and Brenda love each other like that? How is that possible? Right? And this isn't just this isn't just friends. This is this is believers in your family. This is husbands, wives, kids, everyone. Cassie and Tina. They're loving each other. What got into them? Right? Jesus says, "By this all men will know you are my disciples." If you want all men to know you are his disciple, what does he say you need to do? Love one another. And we're going to examine this in the weeks ahead. What does that really mean? What does that look like? Is that even humanly possible? I'm going to give you a clue. It is not. But see, that's what the world needs to see. In this fractured, hurting, just turned upside down world. If they will see a community of believers that genuinely, supernaturally love one another as Christ loved, the world's going to take notice. The world is going to take notice. So it's not about all this hoopla and all these programs and all these t-shirts and all this external kind of stuff. Can we just start with loving one another? Can we just start with loving one another? Okay, that's why fellowship matters. And it begins in the family of God. It begins here, guys. What, what does it matter if we do all these big old fancy, fancy programs in this community and they go, oh, that church put it on. Oh, that church, huh? they don't even like each other. I heard about that church. 
there's all cliques and this division, and they just put up with the pastor and Ernie. Woo! You know what I mean? It's like... See, you can do a whole lot of programming, but if you don't love one another, you just shot yourself in the foot. Because the world wants to see. Do you really love one another? Is this real, man? Is this Jesus thing real? And they're going to want to see if you really love that person in here. That's the testimony. That's the testimony. Don't give me another lecture. Don't give me the four spiritual laws. I just want to see, Mark, if you really love Diana. Hey, he really does. Ooh. Hmm. There's something going on at that place. There's something going on at 105 East Topa Topa. There's something going on over there. And you know what the world says? Maybe we should check that out. Because God made all of us to be loved and want to be loved. And when the world sees a community of believers that love one another supernaturally with the God they love, the love of Jesus, the world is going to go, ooh. Oh, maybe I ought to go check out this Jesus. Maybe I ought to go check out this Jesus. Right? There's a story, close with this, of Alexander the Great, great military general. Story goes, he was holding military court. And they brought in this soldier and they threw him at Alexander the Great's feet. And they asked the soldier, Soldier, what is your name? He says, Alexander. They asked him, what is he bringing? What's the charges against him? cowardice in the field of battle. The general asked him, what is your name again? Alexander. What is your name? Alexander, sir. Soldier. Change your conduct or change your name. Alexander the Great could not stand the fact that someone with his name was a coward on the field of battle. Christian? Christian? What is your name? Christian? Change your conduct or change your name. Fellowship begins at salvation. And we just got to check ourselves. We know we're saved by grace through faith, okay? We got that through Christ. That's a settled deal, good. But if maybe it's not this morning, settle that. Settle that. You are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. You can't earn it. We're all the much forgivens. We've all blown it. Receive the gift of salvation. And then purpose in your heart to love one another to love one another and let that be the testimony that you bear the name Christian. Amen? How are they going to know you're a Christian? How are you going to be proud of wearing that name Christian, carrying Christ's name? I'm just going to love one another. Can we do that? Can we start there? Can we just stay there? If we name the name of Christ, let's just love one another as He commands us to. And that will be our testimony. Amen? Lord, thank You. Thank you for this time. And Lord, as we close with this song, as the band's going to come up, we're going to close with this song, a familiar song, but we've added, there's been a new uh, chorus added to Amazing Grace. And this morning as we sing this song, Lord, we want it to be a song of rejoicing, 
a song of testimony that we have been set free by Your amazing grace. And Lord, my prayer this morning is for those who here maybe understand that fellowship begins with salvation. And I'm just going to settle that issue. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And if you're here this morning and you've never settled that issue, then just settle it. Say, Lord, in the best way I know how, I'm receiving your gift of salvation that is by grace. Nothing I could do to earn it. Nothing I could do to merit it. I can only receive and put my faith in the fact that Jesus Christ died for my sin and paid the price I could never, ever pay on my own. So Jesus, in the best way I know how, I'm making you the object of my faith. I'm trusting you alone that you paid the price I could never pay because of your amazing grace. And so, Father, we thank you for that. And we sing this song, a familiar song with a new chorus. My prayer is that we would just sing this as a song of praise, a song of worship, a song of celebration of who we are in Christ, who we are as a church, and that this song would spur us on to love one another as you call us to.